Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the new moon in Aquarius, which takes place on January 24th, 2020. And then the second half of this episode, I'm going to be discussing a little bit of a lesson on tarot reversals. So I'll make sure to leave that in the show notes, um, just in case you're just here to listen about the tarot reversals. I'll leave the timestamp in the show notes. But if you're here for the new moon, new moon sermon, welcome. Uh, if you've never listened to this podcast before, hi, I'm Mal. And when I feel called, I give a little new moon sermon um, or a moon sermon for either the new moon or the full moon each month. And to be honest, uh, you guys probably, some of, most of you listen to the January 2020 episode that I posted in the beginning of January. And I thought that was going to be it for the astrology episodes in January. I just didn't think I was going to put out a moon sermon for the new moon in Aquarius. But I have to tell you, I don't think I've ever felt so called to put out a moon sermon. Um, you know, there, it just seems like a really important pinnacle turning point that I couldn't necessarily quite see at the beginning of January, which makes so much sense because, you know, January has been so intense with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Everything and their brother is in Capricorn. There's been a lot of shifts. There's just been a lot of stuff going on. So it makes sense that, you know, the beginning of January, the energy almost had kind of like a gloomy gray cloud over it. And now the cloud is kind of starting to clear. And this new moon in Aquarius, I think, is going to give us that new perspective that we've been wanting. But there are a couple little things that I was downloading about this new moon in Aquarius that I really wanted to share. And my guides, you know, this whole week have been like just chattering in my ears about different things um, that have to do with this new moon. So I think it's safe to say at least one of you guys really needs something in this episode. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just let's just do it. Let's just do. I wasn't planning on it, but let's do a new moon sermon. So let's get into the energy for this one. Now, if you do happen to be listening at a time that isn't necessarily around January 24th, 2020, like let's say you find this podcast months or years later, I, I always set the intention that even if you find this podcast at like too late, quote unquote, uh, there might still be something that you resonate with at the time of listening. So I do, even though we're talking about a specific time, I say that hopefully most of my episodes are fairly timeless uh, because I think Spirit's message is timeless most of the time. So the Let's talk about the logistics before we get into the the metaphorical la la that I'll probably spew at you. Also, by the way, I am I have a goal to have this podcast be maybe an hour, no longer than an hour. So I think this will be a quicker one than I usually do because usually my episodes are like five hours long. But I think this one's going to be a hit it and quit it uh, because I think the, the message is just very um, 
it's very clear to me. So I'm hoping to get this out. I'm literally talking about how I'm going to be quick about this episode and it's taking five minutes. So let's just get into it. So the sun and moon on January 24th, 2020, the sun and moon are going to be conjunct at four degrees Aquarius um, around four in the afternoon. Okay. So this new moon's going to take place like four or five in the afternoon. So what does just in general a new moon in Aquarius, what does it bring to the table? Well, if we think of, you know, the seed meaning of both the new moon and the and Aquarius, um, new moon is typically a time for planting or new beginnings or new initiations. And Aquarius energy is all about the big picture, right? And before I started recording this, um, I actually got a text from my friend who's a cancer. And she said, I just want to know when all this shit is just going to clear up. Like, I just want to know when this is going to be clear. Like, when am I not going to be in a place of not knowing? And that kind of seems to me very new moon Aquarius, <laughs> not to not to apply, you know, astrology to where it's not wanted. But I think that Aquarius always wants us to focus in on the big picture, right? Because sometimes when we get in a place of like, when is this shit gonna end? Or like, when am I gonna get clear? Or when am I gonna know? Or I just don't know. We kind of lock ourselves into the energy of like waiting or the energy of uncertainty if that makes sense and this moon is all about navigating uncertainty in the best way possible um and there's when we do have a period of uncertainty which i think we do definitely have presented to us right now for the most part i mean maybe a couple of you guys are like nah like i i totally feel certain about where i'm going or but i think the collective in general feels kind of uncertain right now about the shifts that are coming it's like we can feel it in our bones that we're shifting and we're becoming new and we're transmuting our energy and we don't quite know where it's going to take us um and we want to know but we just don't i think most people are in that arena right but with the new moon in aquarius we're kind of zooming out so we're seeing our uncertainty in a new way and when we zoom out and we use that Aquarius energy which is all about seeing things from a really zoomed out perspective the uncertainty doesn't seem that bad right because if we look at if we imagine our life as like a timeline and we're like you know it's a timeline from zero to let's say a hundred let's say we all live to 100 from zero to 100, this period of, of uncertainty is just going to be a little tiny, you know, block in our whole grand scheme of our life, right? And that's what Aquarius reminds us of. Like, even if we're going through a hard time now, or even if we are just going through a period of uncertainty right now, it's not going to last forever. And that's always the gift of Aquarius. They just have that bird's eye view of everything. And I think that's why some people, I think I probably talked about this on my old 
Aquarius episode from last year, uh, but you can, you can probably re-listen to that if you want to know more about the Aquarius archetype in general, but I actually think their kind of zoomed out perspective is where that stereotype of the Aquarius comes from, which the stereotype of Aquarius is like, they're detached, they're not emotional, um, they don't have feelings, which I think that's kind of unfair. And honestly, I have a lot, I've seen a lot of people who have like, moon in Aquarius or sun in Aquarius this year and they've been like everybody tells me I don't have feelings but I do um so I don't (laughs) I don't think that Aquariuses don't have feelings but I think the reason their stereotype is such is because they have this amazing ability to kind of unattach detach from the emotions and again see reality in a completely different perspective because if we're just seeing reality from the perspective of our emotions then reality a lot of the times is going to be filled with despair it might be filled with low self-esteem it might be filled with oh I'm never gonna get out of this I can I won't I I this is this period of uncertainty is unbearable that's really not what's actually happening right that's just and I'm not not I'm not invalidating our feelings because we certainly are feeling those things including me we're certainly being a little emo right now <laughs> about what's coming However, um, when we get in that in that space, although it's painful, and although it, it it is you know hard to get to that, that is kind of an indication that we're only seeing reality from the side of our emotions. This new moon invites us to see reality from a bird's eye view, see reality from a really long term zoomed out perspective okay so that's kind of the overarching energy of a new moon in Aquarius in general right and I think we especially need that energy right now after the conjunctions and the la la and this and that and everybody and their brother is in Capricorn and it's just so heavy and there's just been a lot of stuff honestly I've I've had a lot of people um you know people's pets getting sick, people's family members sick, a lot of just stuff that we don't typically want to deal with. It's just stuff that's stressful and keeps us from centering in on ourselves, right? And this moon isn't necessarily, I mean, I don't think there's a bad time for centering in on ourselves, um, but this moon actually invites us to sort of connect again with our higher selves. Like I always say, we have to have frequent check-ins with our higher selves because our higher self always knows. Our higher self always has our little compass and our higher self's compass doesn't always make sense to our human selves (laughs) but we can also still make the choice to just trust in that now this specific new moon in Aquarius there's a couple different aspects going on too at the time that kind of give it a little bit of an interesting flavor if that makes sense so Jupiter um, at the time of the new moon Jupiter which will be at 12 degrees Capricorn is going to be sextiling Venus at 13 degrees Pisces now what is a sextile so 
who did I just answered this question to someone oh someone from work was asking me the difference between a sex style and a trine the way I see it is um the trine is two planets having an amazing friendship together like they are just bffs they are bros they are in a bromance they are they are two planets that are working really well together a sextile like jupiter and venus sextiling each other today um that's kind of like it's it, it it's a good friendship but i would say it's more like a good a co-worker friendship like it's not the kind of friendship that you like sleep over at their house and like you know whatever it's more of the friendship of we're buddies at work we get shit done when we need to um we have a good line of communication but we're not necessarily like ride or die like the trying relationship of course this is all subjective <laughs> this is coming from my my view of the aspects so the fact that jupiter is sextiling venus on the new moon i think jupiter the planet of expansion and venus the planet of the things that we love they're having a really great conversation about how to exactly do these things so this new moon could bring about some a little i i hesitate to say clarity because I'm not sure, I think for some of us, this new moon could bring about some clarity, but it's almost like getting clear that things are unclear right now. <laughs> it's almost like getting comfortable with not having clarity. Like we feel safer in not having clarity during this new moon. Um, it's not to say this Jupiter sextiling Venus is going to blow our whole worlds open and it's going to you know but road open all the challenges and just and just show us the way uh but it, it's gonna encourage us to dream it's gonna encourage us to dream a little bit so on the new moon in aquarius dream a little bit where do you really see yourself going and i don't just mean career i just mean like in general where do you really want to be sometimes we get so confused about where we want to go what do we want to do what do we want to be we get kind of confused and we start to mix up our voice, our higher self, with the other people's shit, right? So I think it's important for the new moon, on the new moon in Aquarius, even if it's 20 minutes, guys, just take 20 minutes. Take a little walk around the neighborhood in silence, no podcast, okay? Put it, put this on pause, no, <laughs> no podcast, no music, 20 minutes in silence however you want to do that in um or whatever form you would like to spend this 20 minutes in silence it could be meditation it could be um stretching it could be walking but just kind of get clear and really you know that's where we kind of get clear about what it is that we really want right and I think sometimes too this is coming through um this kind of indecisiveness that we sometimes feel in life when we feel really indecisive and we're just flailing around and we're like I one day we want to go east one day we want to go west um one day we want to wear purple the next day we want to wear blue uh, you guys get me I'm being facetious but you know when we're changing our minds every five seconds 
that's not actually a great place to be for manifesting. And if we're in this indecisive, changing our minds every five minutes kind of energy, that actually means that we are taking into account too much information that is not our own. And I also, from just from my limited experience in being a professional reader, I've dealt with a lot of people who are having indecisive moments, right? I mean, sometimes when you go to a psychic, it's because you feel indecisive about something. I've kind of realized that I think the root of indecisiveness a lot of the times is because we're taking into account too many people that are not us, right? Uh, We're not actually asking ourselves, what do we want? What would make me happy? And I saw this on Instagram somewhere. It's some Instagram la la, and I'm going to butcher it. But, and I totally related to it because how many times are we so concerned about our actions, how they're going to affect others and how others are going to feel about our actions? And is someone going to like this? Or is someone going to accept me for this? Or... And this new moon actually brings us back to, well, are you going to like yourself if you make that decision? (laughs) Are you going to um, be able to live with yourself if you go down that road? Are you going to like yourself? Are you going to accept this about you? Because when we're we're actually making decisive choices and we're like, yes, that's where I want to go, when we're in that momentum and we're when we're in that space that actually means that we are really in touch with what it is that we want and we're having a really clear connection to our higher self right and we can't do that we can't have a a good connection with our higher self if there's too much clutter if there's too much baggage from everybody else right Now, um, I'm not saying that it's not necessarily a good time to, you know, if you really need to have a conversation with a trusted friend, you know, um, let someone know about your issue that you're having, get it off your chest or whatnot. But I will say one of the things that um, I think we have to be careful about right now is almost like talking about our issues too much. And because a lot of us are flailing in indecisiveness, right, um, you know, by talking about it too much and by kind of, um, you know, focusing on it every single waking, breathing moment, we're focusing on what is wrong or what we need to figure out. Guys, that's not a good way to figure it out. (laughs) Focusing on what you need to figure out for like 24 hours a day is not going to get you clarity, actually. And I think that's what this sort of Jupiter sextiling Venus is reminding us. To get out of the monkey mind and go more to the higher self, that dreamy mind. That sort of part of yourself, that childhood part of yourself too, that child, inner child part of yourself that really believes that anything that could, anything could happen, right? Anything possible, anything is possible. And if you're shaking your head and you're being like, Mal, she's such a motivational speaker, la la, optimist, glass half full. I'm not like that. I can't believe that anything's possible. I get it, and I know I'm annoying, but also, you're not God. How do you know? You know? Like, how do you know what's possible? 
How do you know that that could never happen? Um, and deciding it's never going to happen is the is the easiest way for it never to be happening, right? <laughs> so that's what Jupiter and Venus kind of reminds us during this new moon. We may have this spark of optimism. So it's like that that idea or that that dream suddenly feels like it could be possible somehow some way don't try to bring it down to earth yet keep it in the astral but just have that in mind because that's going to be some kind of key about how to move forward and how to get clarity now there's another thing going on (laughs) that's not the best um now although jupiter is sextiling venus Venus is also going to be squaring Mars, and Mars is going to be at 14 degrees Sag. So, in general, the really, like, patriarchal, stereotypical, (laughs) astrological view of um, Venus and Mars is, like, you know, women are for Venus, men are for Mars. Women or Venus and Mars don't like each other. When they're in a square... What kind of aspect is that? It's like a breakup aspect or it's like a a bad aspect for couples or whatnot, right? That's like the heteronormative (laughs) kind of um, interpretation of Venus square Mars. But I think on a higher level, um, Mars is about action and the divine masculine and Venus is about the divine feminine. So the fact that... Mars and Venus on the day of the new moon in Aquarius are kind of having a little bit of a terse conversation. (laughs) That's kind of me and I think we might be a little bit imbalanced within our own masculine and feminine energy. Perhaps some of us are not doing enough um, with our divine masculine. Perhaps I think actually most of us are probably doing too much from the masculine and not enough from the feminine. Regardless, I think going back to that Jupiter sextile Venus, that says, hey, that's an amazing idea. But then Mars squaring Venus also says, that's a good idea, but maybe don't act on it right now. (laughs) Although Mars square Venus will make you, I think, feel impulsive will perhaps lead us to making impulsive decisions or acting on something that we don't completely know is in alignment just yet. Um, So I think there's an aspect to this new moon too where it's like, take it easy, you know, hang loose, don't do anything, (laughs) don't do anything I wouldn't do or like that kind of energy. Um, We may get so excited by this sort of spark of, yeah, I really want to do that or yeah, that's my dream or we may get excited by reconnecting with our higher self and we may try to sort of execute that in some way but then we get kind of shot down by that Mars square Venus because I think Mars square Venus it's just not a great time to put something brand new into action right now granted I'm not God if your higher self is telling you put it into action put it into action okay um you know don't let me rule your life of course but that's just kind of the general viewpoint of a Mars square Venus now Going back to the fact that the sun and moon are conjuncting at four degrees Aquarius, 
So again, that's that energy, that zoom out kind of energy, the big picture, the bird's eye view that we're going to be feeling during this time. Now, four degrees um, Aquarius, that's the first part or the first deacon of Aquarius. And the first deacon of Aquarius is ruled by Uranus. So I was looking, I was seeing, okay, and Aquarius in general is ruled by Uranus in modern astrology. So I was looking, I was like, okay, what's going on with Uranus during this new moon? And actually Uranus is still at two degrees Taurus. And, uh, you know, Uranus just went direct a couple weeks ago. I think he's still kind of flailing his arms. He's still kind of like the jail cell opened and I'm ready to be set free. But he's still kind of finding his way. So Uranus at two degrees Taurus is going to be squaring this new moon, right? It's not an exact square. It's really, it's, um, I mean, I guess we can count it. Um, but regardless, I mean, the moon, sorry, I'm, the moon actually will square Uranus and Taurus that day. So the moon will go from zero, one, two, three, four, five Aquarius and will square Uranus along the way. But the sun, the sun's pretty set in four degrees Aquarius that day. I'm looking at my astrology um, wheel, so that's why I was kind of like, wait a second. Uh, so the moon will be square Uranus, um, and that is significant too. That's, again, kind of, um, it's reiterating what I already said about that impulsiveness. There might be a little bit of an impulsiveness when it comes to this new moon. Uh, Uranus squaring the moon, that tends to, put our emotions in the driver's seat especially also when we have a mars squaring venus in the sky too so we got a lot of squares going on that are kind of telling us take it easy don't act on those emotions um you know like take a lap <laughs> take a few minutes take a deep breath um think before you speak think before you do it's going to be a little bit difficult because, again, we have very earthly energy going on that's like, do it, act on it. And then there's another part of this new moon, that Aquarian part of the new moon, that's like, no, 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 the big picture. This is what's going on, the big picture. It's kind of like um, Kermit and like Dark Kermit in like the memes. Like, <laughs> like there's like there's like this darker Kermit like coming in and like it's like do it, make the impulsive decision, um, like get up and bounce or like do something crazy. And then like that other Kermit is like no 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 like there's something else to be had. We don't have the full story yet. We're still getting the full story, but it's going to take all of Aquarius season for us to get this full story. So don't forget, we're just literally on the first page of the Aquarius story. Let Aquarius season unfold, and we're going to get little pieces here by there. You just have to be patient, okay? And that brings me to <laughs> one of my um, astrology clients. Um, so... If you get a natal chart reading with me, I'll typically email you and I'll say, hey, um, do you have anything specifically that you want to focus on with this reading? 
especially for the transits because in my natal chart readings I'll also do your like transits for the next 6 to 12 months and you know if you're like oh I'm interested in love or I'm interested in money or moving or whatever I can look and see if there's a transit that would be good to do such thing right so this client and I asked I'm going to keep their identity um you know confidential but I asked them if I could share this because I just loved what they said so much but in their question they said um you know let me find it oh Nikes. um so this person said hey Mal not sure if it's too late to ask uh but I have planned some scheduled positive uncertainty in my life between X and Y. Um, any insight that you would have would be greatly appreciated. So if you didn't quite catch that, yes, this person said they have planned some scheduled positive uncertainty in their life. <laughs> and I was like, that is the most genius thing I've ever heard it kind of feels to me almost like a planned tower moment in a way like they're planning a tower moment they're like I know that this period of my life I'm planning for uncertainty and in a way that kind of rang true for me especially for February in general Uh, and I'll stay true to what I said in the beginning of this year in the January 2020 episode if I'm remembering correctly I said that um, January and February we're still going to be finding our way in March March is kind of kind of be like go time March is going to be like actually the start of the new year and I did say that and I feel like it's still ringing true to me and that's why I think February is actually a really good time to as my client said plan some scheduled uncertainty now in their email they weren't necessarily talking about February they were talking about later in their life or in this year But that whole phrase, planned, scheduled uncertainty, just seemed so liberating. Because if we know, if we have some uncertainty planned for February, that would actually be a great thing, right? That would maybe even take us out of this vibration of like, oh my god, what am I going to do? I have to figure this out. All this shit's weighing on me. Um, I've got so much shit going on. I can't you know if we're in that sort of like I want to call it seven of cups (laughs) but like a really shadowy seven of cups if we're in that really like shadowy seven of cups uncertainty it's really hard to find our way out of that because again we're in that space of indecisiveness we're in that space of clutter we're in that space of sort of not knowing and that not knowing can sometimes cripple us however if we sort of use february as that sort of scheduled positive uncertainty if we sort of let february be we sort of have this radical acceptance of huh i don't know i don't know what february has to bring i don't know what this new moon is initiating but i'm excited and i'm just gonna embrace the uncertainty 
And I'm just going to like go at it and see what this uncertainty has to hold for me. That's an amazing way to deal with the energy of uncertainty, right? And that's also very Aquarian, right? Uh, So I think the word uncertainty, it's sort of, um, it has a really bad connotation, right? Uh, And that's, I think, partly, especially if you're American, um, it's pretty shameful to not know what you're doing, right? (laughs) Like, if someone asks you, like, what are you doing with your life? Or, like, what do you do? And you say, like, I don't know, I'm figuring it out or something. That's, there's, like, a certain undertone of shame to that. (laughs) Because in, like, our, like, capitalist machine kind of thing that we're, like, faking and that kind of thing. Like, you want to know what you're doing. Because successful, um, quote-unquote, successful, achieving, extroverted people who function really good in a capitalist society, they always know what they're doing, right? They always have a plan. Uh, there, there's a point A to point B to point C to point D. There's a 10-year plan. There's no room for uncertainty because if you have room for uncertainty, you just don't know. Like, that's kind of our conditioning, right? In a way, I, th- I don't think I'm like, maybe I'm over-dramatizing that. <laughs> but like, I, I don't think I am. Like, am I? DM me. DM me if I'm over-exaggerating that. But I think, actually, there's so much beauty in a period of uncertainty. There's uh, it, uncertainty. All that really means is unlimited potential, right? Actually, it's really beautiful if we can say, I'm leaving space for uncertainty in February and I'm going to see what comes in. I'm going to see what I find in that uncertainty. Because when I don't have my every move planned and when I don't get crippled by my indecisiveness and I kind of just go with the flow, I'm able to stay present in the best way possible and deal with this uncertainty in a really beautiful way. And I'm able to see it as a gift. And that's what I would advise uh, for February too. You know, it's not to say that all of us will be feeling this. Um, I'm sure there's, a, again, like I said, I'm sure there's a couple listeners who are really like, nope, I don't resonate. Like, I, I get, But I think there's a chunk of us that are probably really feeling this. Like, I really don't know where 2020 is going to take me just yet. I really don't know if I'm going to go this way or that way, I really don't know how I'm going to get to point A to point B. Um, So February, don't panic. (laughs) And when you are panicking, I want you to take that Aquarian energy to heart and really zoom out, zoom out, and really start to see that this uncertainty is actually a gift for you to connect to your higher self, connect to what it is that you truly want. And that's going to really steer us in the right direction for the rest of the year, right? And actually, when I was kind of tuning in, um, I don't know if any of you guys watched my uh, little Reiki session that I did on IGTV, but in that, I um, I told us to sort of imagine an image uh, of our issues and then imagine the image sort of transforming into something else that sort of resolved the issue. And actually in my own meditation with that, I was seeing my issues and my challenges right now, I was seeing them as sort of like this steel uh, metal cube 
that I was just like boxed in and I was actually feeling like really claustrophobic and boxed in and like there was no way out of this metal steel cube and then when I was imagining the transformation um that steel metal cube just melted into this beautiful water and it just felt like the biggest oh gosh so glad that that melted (laughs) and I think that's sort of the energy in February too uh it, it is sort of this like okay, we, we don't want to trap ourselves into things right now. We really want to keep that, that vision or that image of relief in mind too and, and keep that in mind that, that relief is kind of going to wash over us if we kind of stay loose and don't panic. <laughs> now, if um, so I pulled a couple cards for this, um, this new moon in Aquarius. And we got very interesting mix. We got the lovers, we got the two of cups, and we got the ten of swords. So I think it's interesting that sometimes when we get the ten of swords, it's sort of like an old pattern or an old way of thinking is ending or has ended, right? It's like an invitation for us that we don't have to think this way anymore we don't have to trap ourselves like we've trapped ourselves before we kind of have this new perspective um but on the at the same way the fact that the lovers and the two of cups came up um i do feel like it's sort of giving us advice about how to move through the Ten of Swords. And I think the lovers in Two of Cups were sort of encouraging us to go out and experience something new. If we're in the Ten of Swords, if we're ending a bunch of shit, if we're clearing our minds, if we're in that period of uncertainty, what's the best thing to do in uncertain situations? Two of Cups it be the lovers have fun have a new experience i'm not necessarily saying a romantic sort of thing but i do think it's kind of significant that the lovers and the two of cups came out which does have a certain romantic feel about it um do something you wouldn't normally do um you know we change our perspective by experience and actually when we're having fun and when we're enjoying our lives to the best way we can and when we are just making the best out of uncertainty and not letting it bring us down and still finding a way to like laugh and meet new people and have new experiences that is gonna completely lead us into the certainty without even trying if that makes sense and the two of cups too oftentimes it tells me we're only one person away from meeting our next opportunity. We're only one opportunity away from meeting our next person. We're only one new thing or one new place or one new experience away from it leading somewhere else. So don't discount the experience right now. And if you can, I know it sounds cheesy, but have fun in February in some way. Uh, because again, it's not gonna, it's not gonna 
help you out if you're just sitting in your room all emo and like rocking back and forth about (laughs) and you're like breathing into a paper bag about how uncertain you feel and how indecisive you feel and you're like giving yourself a bunch of anxiety and panic that's not gonna help the situation okay it's not it's really not and it's not gonna get you any clearer more clear faster you know panic and anxiety never gets us anywhere faster it only delays us so i think that's what the cards are really reminding us in february too now um there's a thing um i don't know have i ever mentioned this on this podcast before uh in my book of zen cons um a zen con is sort of like these little buddhist stories um and my writing mentor once gave me a book of zen cons and um there's this Zen con, it's really short. Um, I'll read it to you. Um, so this, this little story, it has to do with a monk and sort of this monk in training. His name is Tozan. So it says, a monk asked Tozan, how can we escape the cold and heat? Tozan replied, why not go where, um, why not go where there is no cold and heat? Is there such a place? The monk asked. Tozan commented, When cold, be thoroughly cold. When hot, be hot through and through. And then the explanation says, Heat and cold cause discomfort. They represent troubles in life. When troubles arise, what should we do? If one can escape, fine. But many of life's problems cannot be escaped. Where is the place of no trouble? Zen says, become one with trouble. When the day is hot, don't cry, oh hot, oh hot, what shall I do? Take the heat and be in it instead of complaining or trying to escape it. Whatever it is, if we become totally one with it, we become the master instead of the victim. So that whole like, when you're hot, be hot, when you're cold, be cold thing, I gotta say that whole, that even that perspective is like one of the reasons I was able to like do a lot that I've done in my life. Like, like even in Malaysia, when I was physically exhausted from the heat there, I would literally remember that, like be hot, be hot, be cold, be cold. Um, So when I literally felt hot and I had like sweat like dripping out of my eyeballs and I was like teaching (laughs) like 20 Malaysian kids in like a 95 degree classroom, I would literally just have to like accept the heat. And honestly, it made it more bearable. And by the end of the year, the heat didn't bother me. Was I still sweating? Absolutely. But I actually kind of liked it. And I got completely used to it. And that whole like mind game, although we can take that, you know, beyond temperature, if we're feeling uncertain, just be uncertain. Don't try to figure your way out, you know, when it doesn't feel natural. Um, And I think almost all the times um, that we're uncertain, there's a reason for it, right? So if you're kind of feeling like panicked this month, remember that when you're hot, be hot. When you're cold, be cold. Can you just accept where you are? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that'll kind of get your way out of it faster, right? So the last thing I wanted to say about 
the astrology of essentially the first quarter of 2020. Um, January 12th through February 16th, um, every planet is direct, right? And then on February 16th, Mercury goes retrograde. And it's going to go retrograde until March 11th. Then there's another period, March 11th through March, April, through, sorry, March 11th through April 24th. That chunk of time, also, all the planets are direct. So, spark notes, there's really only like a little over two months of 2020 where all the planets are direct. Uh, and I make that point not to scare us <laughs> because certainly we can still get shit done and things can happen when planets are in retrograde. But um, I'm saying this just so we can mark our calendars again, January 12th through March, fuck, fuck, January 12th through February 16th and March 11th through April 24th. Those two chunk of times, every planet is direct. So if we can use those two chunk of times really well, um, that's going to be good because that's, again, all the planets are direct. Any other time this year that's not in those two chunks of times, something is in retrograde. And again, that's not like a total manifestation killer. It's not to say that we're not going to be able to get anything done, but I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> and we'll get more clear on that as the year, as the year goes on. And the last thing I wanted to do before we get into the tarot lesson, Lala, is I'm going to do some bibliomancy for us. So if you don't know what bibliomancy is, um, shout out to Heather because me and Heather do this all the time. Um, so bibliomancy is basically a mo the using a book as your mode of divination. So you can grab literally any book that's on your shelf or in front of you and you can flip it open and put your finger somewhere without looking and then, you know, wherever your finger has landed uh, is sort of like your message from the universe, right? So actually I often do bibliomancy with my Bible or um, with my Quran or any other religious text that I have. Um, but I have in here, in my hands as of right now, I have the Herder Dictionary of Symbols. Symbols from Art, Archaeology, Mythology, Literature, and Religion. So this is a whole book of symbols, right? So I'm going to do, I'm going to pick, I'm actually hearing I'm only supposed to pick two. So um, if you can right now, I'm taking a deep breath, um, first into the number one. And then into the number two. Okay. So I'll give you a second. So decide whether you feel more in alignment with one or two. Okay. And I'm going to pink the page. I'm flipping the page. Uh, two. So if you picked number two. Your symbol that I just flipped to is the spider. Ooh, I like that. So uh, the spider, it says, a symbolic animal 
um, is a very symbolic animal because of its artful, radically arranged web and its central position in it. The spider is regarded in India as a symbol of the cosmic order and as the weaver of the world of senses, since it produces the threads for its web from within itself as the sun produces rays of light. The spider is also a sun symbol. From this viewpoint, the net can also symbolize the um, the animations of the divine spirit or intellect. Because it climbs up the threads it has spun, the spider is a symbol of, in the Upanishads, of spiritual self-liberation. In Islam, white spiders are regarded as good, black spiders as evil. In the Bible, the spider occurs as a symbol of things perishable and of vain hopes. Folk ideas sometimes juxtapose the death-bringing spider and the bee. In in superstition, the spider is regarded as promising either good fortune or misfortune, depending on the time of day it appears. In many Native American myths, spider woman is a creative figure whose father is the sun. So here's what I'm getting with anybody who picked the number two or spider. Um, I'm actually getting that sort of like weaving your web thing is very important right now. And that whole image of the spider being in the middle of the web, it's kind of reading to me a lot like almost the, the justice card. Kind of like you reap what you sow. You have created what you've created um, in this moment. And everything in your life right now is sort of like you're kind of sitting in this web and I'm also getting sometimes right now sometimes the web um, you know the spider only catches as many bugs as um, or it only how how am I trying to say this the spider's web is only as good as how many bugs it catches right because if a spider weaves its web really good and really tight it's in this really beautiful thing it's gonna catch more flies it's gonna catch more things and then it has the spider has more things to eat later right so if the web that you currently have going isn't catching you anything then maybe you need to weave a new web, right? Or maybe there needs to be some repairs to your web. Or maybe there's a gaping hole in your web that you're like ignoring. But because you're ignoring it, it's sort of like, hello, you're going to go hungry. Like, not really, but, you know, figuratively. So that's what I'm getting with the people who have picked two. And let's go with... um, who where is number one here actually here okay so number one if you pick number one um you got the club the club is a weapon for striking or throwing made of wood or occasionally metal it is frequently a symbol of brutal force in antiquity it was attributed to hercules In medieval and renaissance representations of virtue and vice, it is an attribute of bravery. When in the hand of a half-clad fool, it represents folly. Um, And the picture they have is sort of Hercules with the club riding into the sun. Um, 
so if you want to google hercules and his club you should so i think the message i'm getting with those of you who picked number one the club um i think there is something i'm kind of getting like strike while the iron's hot so even if like there's a period of uncertainty in your life at the moment uh sometimes we just need to like plunge into that uncertainty especially if we know it is right so it, it it's kind of like this like almost de demolition or demolishing sort of image i'm getting too with a club and also um, you know, I'm thinking also of the Five of Wands, which is a card where, like, I mean, I know all the five people in that in that card they're all kind of holding a big stick but we could we could say they're holding clubs right and they're all sort of like taking each other down and battling each other and maybe essentially there is a conflict that needs to be had for those of you who have picked the club but um maybe you're kind of you're kind of balancing with like how much is this conflict worth it um now if we delay conflict for too long that's when things get ugly right that's when we kind of blow up and we hurt people in the process um so don't delay your conflict too long if there's if there's an issue that needs to be addressed address it strike while the iron's hot this could be about anything this could be about setting a boundary this could be about um putting in your two weeks notice this could this could be anything um feels there there seems to be an underlying um energy with this one of avoidance so if none of that is resonating, it, it, it's something that has been avoided. And it could be anything. It could be something as simple as you've avoided cleaning out your closet for too long and now you have all this shit in your room or um you've avoided um looking at your taxes because you know it's it's gonna be bad news you know <laughs> like whatever it is actually there's liberation in facing what has been avoided for so long that's that's the message i'm getting if you picked the club all right guys hope you got something out of this new moon in aquarius sermon um and the next segment's going to be about tarot reversals so i'll be right back hey guys welcome back remember when i said in the beginning of this episode that this was only going to be an hour and we're already at like 53 minutes <laughs> that's fun um so let's just get into the tarot reversals and you know i just have to get over myself because I don't know. There's, there, I think my my podcast listeners they must like long episodes. <laughs> I actually personally really like long podcast episodes, and I also like long YouTube videos. And when I see a podcast that's like five minutes long or something, or like a YouTube video that's five minutes long, like I typically don't want to listen to it. And I don't know if that's just me, <laughs> but I'm like, if you have really something to say to me, it better be like <laughs> two hours long. No, I think I'm just like justifying my blabbermouth, but let's just get into the tarot reversal. So 
some of you guys have been requesting some more tarot content, which I totally appreciate and I want to give to you guys uh, some more tarot content. So if you have any more ideas about tarot content that I can produce for you all on this podcast, let me know. And also, hint, hint, at the end of this episode, there will be another tarot content place, um, <clears throat> Patreon, uh, that you can find me at. So we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But um, anyways... Tarot reversals. Uh, I posted on Instagram, what are your questions about tarot reversals? And I got a few questions. And I think this is an interesting topic to talk about. And here's why. In my viewpoint, I think every tarot reader has a different way of reading reverse cards. I don't think there's a uniform way to do it. There's no right and wrong when it comes to tarot reversals. But because every single reader has such a different way of doing it, it can be really intimidating as a beginner reader to figure out what the hell do I do with reversals because like this lady's telling me this thing and the other person's telling me this thing and I just don't know where to go with it and I don't know what resonates for me. So my purpose in this segment of tarot reversals um, is to present you with a a few, quite a few different routes of where you can sort of go with uh, how you read reverse cards. So I will tell you a little bit about how I read reverse cards, but it's not, definitely not from the standpoint of you need to do do it this way and it's the only right way. Uh, You know, I'll share what I do, but Again, this podcast isn't about me sharing what I do and getting you to do it. It's more about me sharing a whole bunch of perspectives and you finding little bits and pieces of what resonates with you and then putting it together from there for yourself, especially if you've been confused about reverse cards. Now, if that's your case, great. If you are a professional or a more uh, advanced tarot reader, I still think you'll get something out of this episode because I'm going to present a whole bunch of perspectives when it comes to reverse cards and you may very well resonate with um, something new that you never thought about before. So that's my intention. And I think one of the best things I ever first heard about reverse cards, I don't necessarily remember who said this. I think it might have been Tatiana Tarot. I think it was her. And she's literally like my favorite tarot person ever. Like if I ever met her, I would like die. Um, So I think it was her. She said something along the lines of, even if the card is upright, the reversed meaning is still implied. And once I heard that, that completely gave me this whole new perspective about the cards in general. Because I think to a beginner reader, and someone actually asked this in the, in the little questions, in the DMs, on, on in, <laughs> in the DMs, in my DMs on Instagram, someone asked, um, are the upright cards... Um, just the opposite of the reverse cards and I think that question is really valid because I think that's what we tend to think when we're first starting tarot we think okay the upright card is the good quote-unquote the good meaning and the reverse card is the quote-unquote the bad meaning and um, actually I do find that perspective quite limiting I'm not saying it's completely wrong, but I think it's limiting. And I think when we limit 
tarot to just good and bad meanings, then we kind of lose the purpose of tarot, which isn't really about good and bad. It's really just about life and its lessons, if that makes sense. So when I first heard Tatiana Tarot, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, say, even if the card is upright, the reversal is still implied, that really gave me that new perspective and I no longer had to think that the upright was the only good way and the reverse is the bad meaning, you know? Uh, Because that also made a lot more sense too. Because sometimes in a reading, I would have all the cards upright, but the person I was reading for, they'd be going through a really hard time. And, you know, and my intuition would be giving me hits about, you know, their hard time. And if we're thinking that the reverse cards mean bad, then, you know, the whole reading should have been reversed, right? But it wasn't. Everything was upright, but that person still was having a hard time. And I think still that goes back to the sense that the upright card still carries the meaning of the reverse card. And the reverse card still carries the meaning of the upright card. It just means that the person is sort of juggling the meaning in a new way. At least that's the most basic interpretation I can give you of card reversals, right? Uh, But I think even getting more deeper into it, I think another simple way, this is another thing, from another tarot guru, <laughs> not a tarot guru, but um, Lindsay Mack, who who we don't, who doesn't know who Lindsay Mack is, um, she also gave me a little bit, not me personally, of course, but when she talked about tarot reversals at some point in her podcast, um, Tarot for the Wild Soul, she also kind of mentions that the card is technically always upright, but you are the one who's in reverse to the energy. So that's another theory that I've resonated with in some way, right? And I do buy into that. So if we get a reverse card, it's not that the card is in reverse. It's not that the card doesn't like us, but we ourselves are in reverse to receiving the energy, right? So a quick example of that would be the two of cups in reverse. It's not to say that we'll never find love. (laughs) It's not to say that the cards are like, you're never, you're always going to be unlucky in love. It actually might be saying something about how we are in reverse to meeting someone or we are in reverse to, um, receiving a new opportunity or whatever it may be. So I think that's really valid and often the the reading does come off like that. So I thought I'd mention those two theories that were something that really helped me when I first got started with figuring out what reversals mean to me. But the one thing I will say is that um, I think one of the reasons not everybody can, you know, not everybody knows exactly what reversals mean to to them is because they're not tapping into their intuition enough and I think there's something completely intuitive about reversals that for me at times maybe it's just because I'm a Pisces with this Mercury and Aquarius of mine but sometimes I even have trouble putting into words how exactly the reversal card comes to me Because when I look at a reverse card, I'm like straight up intuitive. Like I'm just like, okay, what could this mean? And it never means the same thing twice. And that's pretty 
that's pretty across the board for me with tarot in general, especially when reading for others. Um, I don't have like solid, solidified meanings for every single card. I have an idea, of course, about what they mean to me. And of course, I've studied extensively the meanings of the cards from other people's perspective. And I know what they mean from a teacher's perspective and from a student's perspective. But when it comes down to reading for others, I actually throw that all out the window. And I'm just like, all right, what do we got, spirit? Like, I'm I'm going to leave this to you. Uh, like, this isn't my job. It's actually my job in a reading to get out of the way and let spirit kind of take over and talk through the cards. So I think there is an intuitive aspect to the reversals too, especially the reversals. Uh, because again, like I said, I've never gotten the same reverse twice. Um, even if I have five readings in a row where each person gets the hermit in reverse, uh, the hermit in reverse is going to mean something different for each and every one of those people because there's probably different cards around the hermit reverse. There's a the different person in front of me, etc., etc. You guys get it. In general, if you're a super baby beginner tarot reader, I would recommend learning the basic upright meaning of the cards before dabbling in the reversals. In my experience, um, learning the cards really well uh, first and then the, re the reversals just came naturally. So if you're trying to learn tarot and you're trying to juggle both the 78 meanings of the cards and the 78 meanings of the reversals, I would say that's way too much biting off too much that you, you know, like it's just you're going to overload your brain. And also in that way too, you know, you're never going to get out of guidebook mode. <laughs> like, I mean, certainly there's nothing wrong with using a guidebook. And I use my guidebooks all the time for my personal readings for myself. But um, if you do really want to, like, know the cards for yourself, sometimes we have to put the guidebook down and really listen. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of my take, too. Now, there's another thing that I thought of that people might be wondering about shuffling and reversals. And the way you shuffle the deck may end up giving you, like, more reversed cards than upright. So I know people who have the entire deck upright and shuffle it in a way where the cards stay upright. Um, I have I know people who do more of like a, a kind of mixing of the cards. So certain cards are shuffled inside of the deck so they come out reversed and upright. Me personally, um, I keep my whole deck upright. And the way I shuffle, if you ever have seen me shuffle on Instagram, I kind of do like the the sort of flying out the cards flying out method. <laughs> uh, so I'll have all the cards upright, I'll shuffle, and if a card flies out reversed, that's when I know. That's like, that's like a blaring sign from spirit for me. Like, if a card flies out and lands in reverse, I know that card is in reverse, if that makes sense. Like, that is spirits telling me, like, take a look at this. Like, this is something that's really pinnacle to the reading. Like, <laughs> uh, but certainly other people do it different ways. So think about how you shuffle and how your reversals actually are reading and coming out. 
Okay, and did I already say this? You don't need to read with reversals. Uh, I know a ton of readers who don't use reversals, and that's totally fine. And I think that goes back to what I said in the beginning. Within the upright card, the reversed is still implied. So you could totally go your whole tarot reader life and not read the reversals. And honestly, I kind of resonate with that. And like I said, for me in a reading because of the way I shuffle, if something comes out reversed, that's actually kind of rare. So that gives me an extra meaning, you know, like if that makes sense, like I make it so that the reverse cards are sort of rare and special so that I know when one comes out, it's really serious versus having like on the reg, I have like half my cards reversed and half my cards upright and I'm shuffling. Not saying that's wrong at all, but that's, for me, it kind of makes the reading a little bit too complicated. Uh, but again, there's other readers who do that and it works just fine for them. So the kind of tarot reversal theory that I wanted to bring up it actually comes from um, the book Tarot Tells the Tale by James Rickliffe. And I'll read you their bio. Uh, James Rickliffe, a certified tarot master, is a former member of the board of directors of the American Tarot Association. And for many years, he has been featured a featured speaker at the Los Angeles Tarot Symphony. Synopsism. He also is a freelance writer. His tarot articles include Ask Nighthawk column and has been published in many um, of tarot newsletters and magazines. In addition, he teaches classes on how to read tarot cards and how to use them in one way um, or another for personal empowerment. Pretty sure I totally butchered that. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, this book, Tarot Tells the Tale, it's pretty interesting. Uh, really, the, the part about it that I like is about reversals. It's really only a couple pages. And I'm going to spark notes it for you right now. And I'm going to use his theory, but I'm going to add my own spin on it. And this is kind of how I teach reversals in, in real time in class if someone asks. So according to James Rickleff, um, there are one, two, three, four, five, six ways to sort of read a reverse card. Now you may be thinking, Mal, I can't even read an upright card and you're about to give me six <laughs> ways to read a reverse card. If you're at that place, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You can just listen and come back to this later when you're ready to learn reversals. If you are at a place in your tarot journey where you're like, yeah, like let's get some reversal theory. I want to hear about this. That's great. Uh, if you want to take notes, that's great. If you just want to listen and see what resonates, that's great. Even though I'm about to list six instances where the t where the reversal could mean six different things, um, I know that sounds like a lot, but I think it's going to really make sense. And actually, um, I was already doing this stuff, but I couldn't put it into words until I read what James said. Uh, like, if you asked me, like, six months ago, like, how do you read reversals? I'd be like, I don't know. Like, I just do it. But he, he puts it in, like, very articulate words um, that, that make sense. Okay, enough of that. 
So the first instance, the first thing that a reverse card could tell us um, is that one, the energy is diminishing, right? So if, if let's say a reverse card comes out, um, this is to say that the energy in, in the card is now sort of coming to a close or it's a little bit weaker than it used to be. So I'm going to throw around a lot of examples to kind of help us understand. So I think the sort of diminishing energy uh, that could be read in a reverse card is especially true when we've had a certain period of time where we've had a big repeating card in our lives. Like let's say we've gone through months and months pulling the devil card upright and you're like oh my god is this motherfucker ever gonna leave my life why do i keep pulling him and it's like (laughs) and you keep going and going and you finally are like okay i get it i get the devil i understand it's not that bad anymore i understand what this card's trying to teach me you know you've had this whole lesson with the devil card and then suddenly one day you pull the devil card and it comes out reversed That, in that instance, it might be a sign that, in fact, the energy of the devil card is diminishing. You've worked through the card, and now your time with that card, at least for now, is sort of coming into a close, and you're about to embark on a new card, um, a new card that you're walking into an experience with. Now, I have to say, that's kind of rare. And with this sort of um, interpretation, this first interpretation of what a reverse card could mean, I think there's a lot of room for projection with this one, especially if you um, read for yourself and only yourself. So if you're like pulling reverse cards and like they're all like the tower and the death card and the the devil and you know, you're like, oh man, Mal just said that means the energy's diminishing. <laughs> that may not be true, right? But I think in certain instances it is true. And if you are reading for another person, And it's sort of like a timing sort of question, uh, which are kind of a pain in the ass when people ask you timing questions. But, you know, if someone's asking you, like, when will this conflict be over or will this conflict be over if I do this and you pull a a five of wands in reverse, that could mean, yeah, absolutely. the, The energy will be diminishing if you take this route. So number one diminishing right okay number two what could a reverse card could mean so uh, the the second sort of meaning that that a reverse card could have it it might be it might be indicating a delay Uh, so that's especially true with timing questions as well Um, so the reverse card could be coming out to indicate the energy is being delayed Let's say right now <laughs> it's the Aquarius new moon. You're itching to, you know, find clarity. You're itching to, um, you know, you know, find the answer that you're looking for. Maybe you're getting a lot of reverse cards because your answers or your experience is being delayed for a reason, right? Now, this delay theory also comes into um 
play when we're asking a timing question as well. So if we're asking a timing question like, should I leave my job? And let's say the magician in reverse comes out. We know that the magician upright is a lot about taking action. It's a lot about manifesting. It's a lot about doing rituals to sort of signify what our actions are representing. It can be an invitation to do literal magic to sort of put our goals into the the astral. Um, it can be a lot just about harnessing the divine masculine. But if we're asking, should I leave my job right now? And the magician in reverse comes out, that could indicate it's coming, but it's a delayed. It's not the right time to take action. But again, that's a very specific instance. And I would actually advise against asking yes or no or timing questions, especially if you are a beginning reader. Um, I typically don't ask the cards yes or no or timing questions. Um, once in a blue moon I will, but really not typically. And I find that like if we are wanting to really ask a yes or no question, or even a timing question, I think there are other modes of divination that are better for this. Uh, for instance, the runic alphabet I think is better for yes or no questions. I think if you're into the pendulum, which is my least favorite divination tool, that can be okay for yes and no questions. Um, but uh, tarot, not a good place for yes or no questions because tarot is very rich. Um, you know, the meanings cannot be oversimplified. And when you oversimplify the meaning, you kind of do the tarot in injustice, right? But in general, I mean, we could, we could. If there's, if it's not against the rules. <laughs> we could ask tarot a timing question. Um, let's say, let's go back to that same question. Should I leave my job? Let's say the Four of Swords reversed comes out, uh, which is sort of Four of Swords upright is a card about resting, meditating, taking a minute, taking a breather, um, taking a knee, sitting on the bench, kind of, you know, we gotta, we gotta meditate here for a second. You're going too fast. So if the Four of Swords reverse comes out, that could be um, that you're kind of not wanting to be in the Four of Swords. Maybe you still it's not the time to act, but you're wanting to sort of take action in order to get to the job. Or, again, here's where reversals get confusing. Or it could be a sort of, yes, get off your ass. You've been sitting on this for too long. Time to leave this job. <laughs> So this is why I kind of said in the beginning of this lesson, your intuition when it comes to reverse cards is especially important because you can see how many roads you have available to you when a card comes out in reverse. And I know maybe I'm overcomplicating things by giving you guys so many options and I don't mean to make this more confusing than it has to be, but I also think it's kind of important to know all your options and find which is right for you or if there's a couple that are really sticking out to you, that can also be really good too. So the third, um, the third and I think for me the most valid reading of a reverse card is sort of the internalization. Meaning if a card comes out in reverse, it means that currently the energy of the card is not externally being executed, but it's internally inside of you. 
So I think the best example of this could be the t- the tower in reverse or the death card in reverse. When those two cards come out in reverse especially, I think it's signifying that um, perhaps the changes that are taking place in your life, they could be going on in the external, but they are especially going on in the internal. Same with something like the Two of Cups. Let's go back to the Two of Cups. Um, Let's say someone is asking about love and the Two of Cups reversed comes out. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're never going to meet someone, right? Two of Cups in reverse could mean that this card needs to be taken internal. There needs to be more self-love. There needs to be some more instances where they are, the person is like building their self-esteem or doing things that they love or really strictly falling in love with themselves first if that makes sense. So it's just a sign that this the card is sort of operating in the internal emotional realm. Maybe the person is is still juggling with this energy. It's just not outwardly apparent. The fourth way we could take a reverse card um, is uh, a reverse card being a projection. So I think (laughs) this is something that we have to be careful about, especially when we're reading for ourselves. And I also think, especially when um, we're reading the court cards, um, when something comes out in reversed, uh, it could be a sign that we're projecting the energy outwards, right? So let's take um, a court card in reverse example. Um, Let's say that... um, you know, you're really pissed at your partner because they just won't take action on something and they're just not getting it together and they're not doing what they need to be doing. And you keep pulling the Knight of Pentacles in reverse and you're like, oh, that bastard, they don't just won't get their shit done. You know, okay. So that can be an example of how we can sort of project the meaning of the card onto someone else when it really is our own issue. Maybe there are certain things in our lives that we need to be taking action on, but we are sort of distracting and avoiding by only focusing on what our partner needs to be working on. That could definitely be an example of how we can project the meaning outwards. Um, This could be true to... I think with the high priestess in reverse is kind of coming to me as a good example. If we're getting the high priestess in reverse, um, that could be that we are just addicted to psychic readings. We're going to psychic readings left and right. Um, We're asking a lot of people about their opinion, about what we're doing. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And we're just searching, searching, searching for someone else's intuition. The high priestess in reverse reminds us, yo, you're just as good as whoever psychic you're going to see your higher self is just as knowledgeable maybe try connecting with yourself and your own intuition instead of projecting that outward and maybe you will find the answers that you seek okay uh and i also had a question from a listener do you look at which way the person in the card is facing for clues as well? And I would say yes, especially when it comes to the court cards. But really any card that has a person, um, especially if like um, what she means is the the cards, if they're 
if they're sort of on the table or whatever, you can literally see how some cards kind of look like they're looking at each other and maybe some other people are looking away from each other. That can be an indication too of the reversal in the upright and how it's playing out. I would say especially that's important with the court cards. I'm constantly taking that into account when more than one court card is on the table. I'm like, all right, how do the court cards look like they're getting along? Or are the court cards facing each other? Are they sort of looking away from each other? Is one reversed? Is one upright? Because uh, court cards tend to mean um, either us or other people, right? So I would say, yes, I do look at the position of the cards and I take that into account as well. And I think in general, it's important to remember with reverse cards, don't discount the other cards around it, too. Make sure you're taking that into account. And the fifth way that we can look at reverse cards is a sort of internal resistance, okay? So this means that we, um, it's not to say we are internalizing the energy of the card, but we are actually resistant to the card. So that's kind of going back to what Lindsay Mack would say. Um, she said, um, what did I say in the beginning? Um, the card is never reversed actually, but we are in reverse to the card's energy. That's sort of that internal resistance that we may be facing. So I also think like 90% of the time that is actually in my own tarot practice how I read reverse cards because that's typically how it shows up in life, right? There's sometimes just some archetypes or some energies that we don't want to embrace for some reason. We're just so resistant to embracing that. For me, it's the Empress. The Empress like never comes out upright for me. She always comes out in reverse and I know exactly why. <laughs> and it's because I think I'm often pretty resistant, internally resistant to the energy of receiving, right? Um, I tend to be much more comfortable exerting that masculine, divine masculine energy and less comfortable exerting the divine feminine receptivity. So that would be why the Empress in Reverse comes out for me a lot. It's because I am internally resistant to the, to the Empress. Um, I think some other popular internal resistance cards are the Hermit in Reverse and the Chariot in Reverse. Both the Hermit and the Chariot deal with themes that have to do with internal reflection and especially the hermit. The hermit tends to say go inward. So when we get the hermit in reverse, I think nine out of 10 times, it's kind of a message about us not wanting to go inward, not wanting to be by ourselves, not wanting to um, search for what we truly want and desire. The chariot in reverse, um, you know, that could be not wanting to get out of our comfort zone, not wanting to take ourselves to the next level because we're comfortable in the safety that we have in front of us, even if the safety is actually suffering. So we can see how this internal resistance theme plays out in the cards. And finally, um, one of the last, I think, it's not the last and final way we could ever read a reverse cards, but one of the last theories that James Rickleff talks about with the reverse cards is the external block, meaning that a reverse card could represent an external block in our lives. Now, 
this doesn't come up for me very often, especially for other people. I think most of the time we are our own black, but there certainly are some readings where there is an external black and that cannot be all the more frustrating because if in a reading for yourself or for another person, um, a reverse card is coming out as an external black, then, you know, um, you're going to have to kind of be a little bit of a, um, like, kind of, you're going to have to find a way around that too. You might have to ask spirit, you know, how do they deal with this external block? <laughs> or like, what's the best way of going about this? Should they, should they face it? Should they not? Um, so that's the kind of issue when we, an external block comes in in a reading. Now, um, an example of how this can show up in reverse cards I think first we could just like ask a question, like let's say someone's asking, when should I buy this house or should I buy this house right now? And let's say the Ace of Pentacles comes out in reverse. That kind of tells me that there might be an external block when it comes to buying this certain house. Maybe there's a timing thing that's off. Maybe there's a money thing that's off. Maybe there's another... Um, party that's that's competing and and sort of putting in higher offers than you're willing to pay. Uh, that could be an example of how an external block comes in within a reading. Um, there's also sort of like uh, like should I move my business to a new city? Let's say you get the Seven of Pentacles in reverse. That tells me maybe the person is ready, but maybe the universe isn't ready. <laughs> and that can happen too. I think a part of the universal energy right now is that we're ready to maybe make a change or we're ready for clarity, but the universe isn't ready to give us the clarity that we want. And that can also be an external block. Um, I had another question here, which is like, um, am I going to win this court case? Uh, and... I said five of swords in reverse. That could also be kind of an external block in the sense of um, maybe you're not going to win the court case, but you could change your mindset and sort of take what you can get and walk away and not spend any more time on it because you internally somehow feel that this isn't going to go wrong and you can keep your hopes, you, this is going to go wrong. You can keep your hopes up that you're going to win, but at the end of the day, you know deep down inside that maybe you're being a little too cocky or maybe you're being a little too unrealistic and you know to kind of, you know, collect what you can, get what you can out of it and maybe lessen the blow of a certain loss. Now, that's just one example, right, that I was thinking of. But that could be a way we sort of look at an external block in a reading. So again, just to recap, um, a reversal could indicate a diminishing energy, a delay, an internalization of the card, a projection of the card, internal resistance, or an external block. So that, knowing those things, that really helped me kind of verbalize exactly how I like read reverse cards. Because again, I was kind of doing this naturally, but I didn't exactly know that I was doing it until James Ricklaff kind of put it into perspective for me. So I hope by sharing his perspective, this kind of helped you. And even if you didn't resonate with some of the things that I 
um, that I was saying and you're like, nah, Mal, you're making it too complicated. I just think it's this. That's perfect, okay? Because the, the point of this episode or this segment wasn't to sort of tell you how to read reverse cards, but it was sort of to give you an idea and a little bit of a array of things to choose from when it comes to reading reverse cards. So I hope it helped in some way, uh, and I think that's about it for today. Now, before I wrap up, um, I wanted to say that um, I already mentioned this in the in the in the beginning of this segment, but I released a Patreon. So if you are interested in more content from me, I basically made a Patreon that is a sort of secret horoscope witch YouTube channel where I. Um, posts about tarot and I give more tarot lessons like this and it's my plan to release a couple new videos per month. So I'm really excited about this. I also poll, gave you guys a poll on Instagram and I said, what would you rather see my Patreon be astrology content or tarot content? And it was pretty much 50-50 and I actually think a lot of you said both. So for now, my Patreon is going to be majority tarot content, but as the year progresses, my Patreon content will expand. So take a look at the stuff, the offerings that I have on Patreon right now. The link is in my bio. Again, like the lowest tier that you can join um, is only $5. And for that, you get a whole, you're going to get a whole bunch of um, videos. Right now, if you sign up for Patreon, because it's only my first month, there's four existing tarot videos already sort of posted. And they're about the court cards and some other topics too. But as I kind of grow my my um, collection, there'll be more and more content that you can refer back to. And essentially, I'm kind of trying to create like this secret YouTube channel that me and my followers can kind of like come to and like just talk about tarot and eventually also talk about astrology too. So the astrology content is coming. Now, the other tier that I have listed on Patreon is a tarot letter. Um, so this is a handwritten monthly tarot note from me that's about your energy for the month. So this is kind of a way for you to get a reading from me at like a kind of a lower price and it's kind of also a way to I just want to write more letters in 2020 so I, I think it'd be so fun if I was writing you guys letters and the way it works is at the end of each month I pull one card for you know whoever signed up for this tier and I write you a letter about your upcoming month and what this card may mean for you it's sort of like a little tarot love note I mail it to you and then you get it at the beginning of each month and you get to carry that letter around with you as the month progresses and see how your kind of card unfolds so it's essentially kind of like a tarot letter subscription and I think it's going to be really cute so if you're interested in that check that out and more patreon stuff to come I'm totally available for your feedback one more thing uh February I am rebooting my website and I'm also teaching an in-person tarot class in Chicago because of these two things I don't I'm not going to be offering many distance natal chart readings in February but that offering will be back in March so if you're itching to get a natal chart reading from me 
hang tight until March. If you do have a natal chart booked with me in February and you're a distance client, don't worry, your booking is safe. We're still going to do it. It's just for anybody else who's interested in booking a natal chart reading in February. I'm essentially following my own advice and leaving space for a little bit of uncertainty, but I'll definitely be back in March and I can't wait to be back and read more of your charts. So thank you guys so much for listening. This episode is twice as long as I wanted it to be, but what are you going to do? Um, have a wonderful new moon in Aquarius and I'll talk to you guys next time.